Listen, you can't watch that movie a bunch of times in one week and not feel like you have to work out. So, 40 pounds in this bag, okay? I'm, I'm gunning for Michael B. Jordan, okay? You better watch out. Now, uh, no spoilers here. Again, promise, not going to spoil this movie for you. And you do not need to have seen Creed 1 and 2 to make sense of this movie. In fact, uh, anybody, anybody see Black Panther? Raise your hand. Okay, so in this movie, it, the same plot, only Michael B. Jordan's the good guy. Okay? Uh, it's also the same plot as Lion King, which happens to be William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Uh, so if you're familiar with that, you're not going to be lost at all. But let me give you a synopsis of what's going on in uh, Creed 3. Michael B. Jordan plays Donnie, who is this boxing champion, obviously, chronicled in the first two movies, uh, Creed 1 and 2. Creed 3, he is now confronted by his childhood friend, Damien who spent the last 18 years in prison for a crime that Donnie was actually involved in and instigated. Donnie got away, Damien went to prison. Damien went to prison for 18 years, Donnie becomes this boxing champion. He's actually uh, uh, the son of the famed boxer in the Rocky movies, Apollo Creed, okay? Now, uh, Damien is now out of prison. He wants his shot at the title and revenge, it's dramatic, I know. Now, the undercurrent, though, of the movie follows Donnie's guilt as he tries to figure out how he can make up for what's happened or if he needs to make up for what's happened at all. Remember, he started the issue that got uh, his friend sent to prison. It's his fault. He wrestles with if he really needs to make, for, uh, make up for this at all. This is a story about guilt and forgiveness. How does that actually work? How do those two, two things, guilt and forgiveness, work together? And I recognize that uh, this, this is not a theoretical question, really, for any of us. If we leave this in the theoretical realm today, this is going to be a pretty boring message. But I think what makes this story so compelling, and you don't need to be a boxing fan to get drawn into this, uh, is, is that it takes a very common experience, something that is true of all of us, being guilty of something and the recognized desire for forgiveness. And this Trojan horse, remember stories are like a Trojan horse, this Trojan horse asked the question, what actually is forgiveness? Does it really work? And if so, how? Now, to examine that Trojan horse, I want to look at what I think is probably one of the most potent stories in the New Testament uh, from Jesus to see what he has to say about this kind of forgiveness. So if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open up to uh, the New Testament book of Matthew. New Testament book of Matthew. If you brought your own Bible uh, and need help getting there, it is the very first book of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 18 today. Remember, if you're having trouble finding it, the table of contents is your friend. Or if you have a fake Bible on your phone, just tap Matthew. It'll take you right there. Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to read this. Uh, whole passage will be in verses 23 through 35. Some of you will be familiar with this story. It says this. Jesus says this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had to be payment uh, and wait for payment to be made. 
So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him over to the jailers until he could repay all of his debt. And so also, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me pray and then we'll get started. Uh, Father, we are just grateful to be in this place today. Uh, We ask for your help as we open your word and talk about a topic uh, that for some of us feels like uh, a gut punch. Because to talk about forgiveness immediately brings to mind a very specific relationship that we have. A set of circumstances. Maybe it's things that we have done. It's things that have been done to us. And so forgiveness uh, is this messy, knotted up idea that uh, some of us have just not wanted to explore. And yet we pray today by your Holy Spirit, you would help us, give us understanding to what the beautiful picture and often backwards picture of forgiveness is. Remind us how you have empowered us not to be a slave to our debt to our guilt, to our shame, but to live as forgiven people empowered to forgive. So Lord, we do love you. We trust you. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here is the first question for us. What is forgiveness? Again, this is the, the movie confronts us with this almost right away. This idea of forgiveness. And, you know, I think it's one of those rare words. If you've been around LifePoint Worthington for a while, you know I love words. I love digging into the meaning of words, things like that, uh, and showing how sometimes they don't really mean what we think they mean. Forgiveness, though, is one of those rare words that I think has a pretty solid shared understanding. We generally have an idea and are in the same ballpark when we are talking about forgiveness. I think the the first two characters and the two main characters in Jesus' story, uh, the king and the servant kind of illustrate this really well. The the servant, remember, he owes the king an enormous amount of money, 10,000 talents. Or put another way, uh, the servant has a debt to the king. Now let's examine how this works a little bit. Uh, This is something that the servant ought to pay back as the money rightfully belongs to the king. It's something he owes the king to pay him back. This is something uh, the servant ought to pay back. The servant, though, is unable to pay this debt, and yet on the verge of being thrown into prison, conceivably for the rest of his life, pleading, the king does what? He forgives. 
he, he drops the debt. He lets go of the debt of this servant. And this, I think, is the first pivotal moment in this story. Uh, and let's be clear about what Jesus is talking about. The king does not simply defer the debt to a later date, uh, giving this man more time. Uh, more than that, he does not just move on from this debt as if it's not really a big deal to him in the first place. In fact, one of the intriguing features about this story is the absurd size of the debt in verse 24, 10,000 talents. Now, we can uh, historically, based on how money was typically used in that day, and not talking about exchange rates, but just how uh, money was used in that day, it would, this would be somewhere in the realm to have 10,000 talents of debt. This would be somewhere in the realm realm, our best guess is uh, around 60 million days wages. So for this servant to, to pay off this debt, this is about 60 million uh, days that he would have to work to pay off this debt, right? In, in other words, uh, if you put this in today's money, if you just took minimum wage in the state of Ohio today, uh, this debt would translate uh, to somewhere around uh, $5 billion dollars of a debt that he owes to the king. Uh, and the, the point is obvious with this obscene debt that, that he obviously cannot pay him back. He cannot ever repay the king uh, back. But that number cuts both ways, doesn't it? Right, because just like the man can't repay it, it's also that the king cannot simply overlook this. It's not like the dude owes him five bucks for gas, okay? The king can't just like overlook this and as if nothing was gone. In fact, uh, if we look historically, we have some tax data from the Roman Empire from this time. We know that 10,000 talents, that's probably more money than was actually circulating in Israel at that time. Right? There's no way this guy could ever pay it, but there's no way this king could not absolutely feel uh, that debt being uh, relinquished. And so as we think about the, the first question, you know, what is forgiveness? There's three initial elements that show up uh, in just the first movement of Jesus' story that are, um, that, that are essential for us to get, right? That Jesus uh, is talking about uh, uh, forgiveness as releasing a debt and to some extent absorbing the impact of that debt of something that is legitimately owed to you. Releasing, absorbing something that is actually owed to you. And when you have those three elements, releasing, absorbing, and uh, something owed to you, I think we'll start to recognize that, you know, why for, for many, uh, forgiveness is an incredibly challenging practice. More than that, I think we start to understand why uh, in the world around us, we, we see an increasing intolerance for forgiveness. And it's because for you to forgive someone, you are willing to step in front of them and say, the thing you owe me, the thing you, you legitimately owe me this thing, I'm not just going to release you from the debt. I'm going to absorb the blow myself. I was struck by one author uh, who said it this way, uh, Timothy Keller, in his book, Forgive. He said, forgiveness then is a form of voluntary suffering. In forgiving rather than retaliating, you make a choice to bear the cost. 
And it's one thing to forgive someone, you know, who says something behind your back or loses their temper with you at work or school or whatever. But, but things, where, where things get really complicated is when we're talking about some of the most painful things that uh, we have experienced. Some of those painful things that have either happened to you or through you to someone else. When we start applying a conversation to forgiveness uh, to uh, when your spouse, whom you've always been able to trust, betrays you. What does forgiveness look like there? How does it work there? When a close friend for whom you have cared deeply stabs you in the back. When a family member, the one, the one who should have taken care of you, takes advantage of you. What is forgiveness supposed to look like there? But should that even be part of the equation? Like, is it crazy to even try and apply it there? More than that, what if uh, you're not the one who was hurt, but you are the one who hurt someone else? What if it's your debt we're talking about? See, I think the question we actually wrestle with is this. Does forgiveness, does, does it actually apply to me and my situation? Can I extend it? Can I receive it? Like, or do I just walk around with this guilt and shame forever? This is the messy side of forgiveness. And one of the things that I think we actually struggle with in talking about this is that we feel like forgiveness cheapens what actually happened. Like it cheapens what actually went down. Interestingly, you'll see this on... Uh, X, or formerly Twitter, uh, a lot, where there is this growing pushback against the very idea of forgiveness for this very reason, because more and more people, forgiveness feels like we're, we're really excusing real evils, real injustices in the world around us, that forgiveness removes accountability and lets someone continue to do what they've been doing under the assumption that they'll just be forgiven again at some point in the future. You see, for many people today, including some of us in this room, forgiveness is not just a weak response to injustice, forgiveness in itself is immoral. And all the more when, when those who have been hurt are, are encouraged or coerced to forgive those who have hurt them. And I think the problem of forgiveness is perfectly articulated in the central tension of uh, the move of Creed 3. Right? How is Donnie able to forget, deal with the guilt over the fact that his actions, what he did, led to the 18-year imprisonment of his childhood best friend? I mean, the story is dripping with guilt. It is begging for forgiveness. And as one New York Times columnist said it this way, I thought it was really interesting. She said, there's something just unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. See, this is the cultural moment that we live in because uh, forgiveness is such a deeply uh, religious idea. And the more and more secular we move in our culture, the more and more we move uh, away from any mechanism for forgiveness. And we are left in a state where we constantly have to make up for what we have done with no redemption plan. But this is what we see all over the place with, with a, uh, more extreme versions of cancel culture. It's, you're done. You messed up. You're done. Full stop. Like I said, this whole topic is messy. 
Forgiveness might feel like when you walk into a church, like, oh, great, we're going to talk about forgiveness. What a vanilla topic we're going to address today. And um, it's not. It's not. I mean, this, this explores some of those painful parts of our stories. As we start to figure out how this actually works, we get tangled in a web of competing voices and values, all telling us what makes sense and how it works. But what if the way forward is not to figure out why forgiveness actually makes sense as a response? What if the way forward is to first acknowledge that forgiveness is fundamentally backwards? You see, I think the story that Jesus tells in Matthew 18, it shows us that there is something upside down about the practice of forgiveness. It's not intuitive. Forgiveness is not natural. And so to try and make it natural, I think uh, we get twisted up in this knot of uh, how should I do this? Why should I do this? It's not something. Forgiveness is not something that we can uh, merely uh, muster up the emotional energy for. Look back at the story again. Matthew 18, 23 through 35. Look back at this story. We notice the king is willing to release this man from a debt. Um, He's willing to release a debt uh, from this man that will inevitably harm him, the king. It's going to hit the king. The king takes the hit. The king willingly steps into the broken aftermath of releasing this net, not because he won't really feel it, but in spite of the fact that he absolutely will. I mean, the startling thing about forgiveness, like we mentioned earlier, is not that it may cost you, but it certainly will be costly. I mean, some of you know what it's like to be confronted by that cost of uh, forgiveness, certainly more than others of us have. In a room like this, there are bound to be those of us uh, who have spent years wrestling with an impulse and maybe even an urge at time to forgive and get a deep reluctance to give in to that impulse because we feel like we, we, we can't go down that road. We tell ourselves, time will work this out. I'll be fine. It will heal does it? We tell ourselves, eventually, I'm going to get over this thing. I'm going to move on. But do we? No. See, I think what's becoming clear is that to talk about forgiveness is not simply to uh, say, hey, let it go. But along with the king, It's to willingly step into harm's way, not fully sure of how the other person is going to respond. And friends, when we think about forgiveness this way, I think we start to see why forgiveness is actually at the very heart of the gospel story. That you and I, in a spiritual sense, all of us find ourselves in the position of the servant of this story with an enormous debt to pay. And we may have varying degrees of awareness of that debt, but it's there. And our failure to uh, live the way God has created us to live is part of what it means to be human. We have fallen short of the way God has called us to live. And before an infinite king, we have an enormous debt that we cannot pay off ourselves. I mean, the human story is that there is no amount of work we could possibly do to pay off the debt that we owe, that we carry around with us. 
And yet, like the king in this story, God is one who feels deeply and responds with a profound compassion in his mercy. And it shows up several times in the story. He gives us what we do not deserve and takes away the debt. But just like the king deals with the debt by absorbing the blow, so our king feels the debt by stepping down into human history in the person of Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who lived the life we should have but failed to live and yet lovingly and willingly took our place on the cross, taking on our debt that we incurred. And Jesus takes on our debt in our place for our sin. You see, what marks Christianity as unique among the uh, the rest of the world religions and worldviews is is not only does Christianity say that God has a standard for humanity and that we fail to meet the standard on our own, but God does not simply sit back in Christianity and say, I told you not to do that. He comes down the mountain, steps down into our place, and says, you have failed, and I will bear your failure. I will bear your shame. I will bear your guilt. He condescends down into our position. This is what forgiveness looks like. At great cost to himself. Forgiveness is is one of the most radical ideas that we could talk about and preach about in in the world we live in today. It is the upside down, backwards way of Jesus that does not conform in any way to our own set of cultural values and desires. It confronts, it challenges, it pushes back on everything else that feels natural. Jesus releases our debt and takes the blow himself. And the result of the Christian story, right, is that uh, we, as followers of Jesus, are in a brand new state. We have a new state of being, a brand new condition. Forgiven by faith in Jesus, we are forgiven. Full stop. By faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, we receive full, unmitigated forgiveness. By faith in Jesus, our debt is paid in full. And this is why I say forgiveness is unnatural. And until we say, see that, it will remain in this realm of maybe a nice idea, maybe I'll get there one day. But ultimately it asks more than we're willing to give or more than we feel we're able to give. Forgiveness is unnatural. Now, what's fascinating about this topic is we could go down a thousand different rabbit trails and talk about uh, the specific questions that each one of us have. And I know that as, as especially if we're wrestling through this issue in particular in our own lives right now, there, there is a specific set of questions that you have. And we could uh, sit down and have a much longer conversation about what it looks like in your life uh, today. But I want to end with five ideas about forgiveness, biblical ideas about forgiveness uh, that, that, these are not pat answers, and there is no one-size-fit-all answer to, uh, to uh, the multitude of the nuance of our own questions and our own stories, but, 
But these are five conversation starters. And I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes, you can write these down and follow along. In fact, if you're following along on the notes that you can find scanning that QR code, you'll find a whole bunch of extra resources that I've linked to this week uh, to help you with a longer dialogue in your own life or with your life group about what forgiveness looks like. But here's five things, five, think of them as conversation starters about forgiveness. Now, here's the first one. Be on the screen behind me. The state of forgiven empowers the practice of forgiveness. In other words, being forgiven empowers the practice of forgiveness. Jump back to the story for a moment. Jump back to the story. The central tension in the parable, as Jesus tells it, if you look uh, starting in verse. Um, 20, starting 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Right, and think about this for a moment. If you had uh, this, this individual who was just forgiven five billion dollars, he goes back out and finds someone who owes him gas money. hundred denarii. And he goes more over the top than the king does. He, he not only confronts the person, he grabs him by the throat. It says, pay what you owe. When he refused, he put the man in prison that he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. That is a startling sentence from Jesus. The way he finishes it, so my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And see, I mean, again, because of all of this nuance we talked about, the, the internal knot we can tie ourselves in when we talk about forgiveness and uh, the different values we have and uh, the nuances of our own stories, right? But, but Jesus boils it down to a pretty provocative statement that if you're going to live by his ethic, you're going to live in his kingdom as, as part of one of his people, the ethic we demonstrate is forgiveness. Full stop. It's not a negotiation. He says, we will be marked by our uh, practice of forgiveness. But he does not leave us uh, with just a to-do list to go and do. He, remember, this follows the very first principle in the story that the, the, the servant should have forgiven because he was already forgiven. See, as followers of Jesus, we believe that we have had an enormous debt satisfied by our Heavenly Father who has first forgiven us. And so the motivation is not to say, I just need to muster up the emotional energy. I need to hit enough counseling sessions in order to be able to process some things and then go, then I can go and forgive. No, no. He says the, the, the real power for you to, to, to move into forgiveness is because you have first been forgiven. We've got to understand how those two things work together. Now, let me say this. Forgiveness is also a process. 
Forgiveness is a process, and sometimes we like to think of it as this one-and-done moment where I say, I don't want to do it. God forgave me, so I'm going to forgive this person. I forgive you. Done. Move on. You never have to do it again. Never have to think back about it again. I think it's just, just a myth. Like I've been talking about forgiveness is so much more nuanced in our own lives, in our own stories. There's so many things going on as we think about uh, what we are actually forgiven or what we are asking forgiveness for, right? It, it, gets, it gets complicated. But I think we have to reject the idea that it's just a one and done moment that we never look back on and recognize that to actually enter into the state uh, of, uh, uh, to, to be in the state of forgiven and then practice the state of uh, forgiveness and it, it, it takes a lot of gospel heart work in our lives. Because what happens when you drop that debt in front of somebody is it sits there. And you're going to be tempted to say, well, you know what? I actually feel like you don't feel bad enough for what you did. So I'm going to pick it back up for a minute. I'm going to put it back on. It's incredibly tempting to let go and then want to pick something back up again and carry it around with us again. And some of us have been in that process for a long time, and it, it, it may take months, it may take years to get to the place where you have been able to drop it and actually walk away. But we continue to carry it with us as long as we refuse to drop or pick back up again. So when I say that we're talking about a process, I'm saying uh, to engage in forgiveness, this is, a, I think it is foolish to think that we can do this on our own. I think it's foolish to think that we can do this without community around us of people who, uh, maybe even a very few number of people who know us, who are praying for us, who are walking alongside with us, who, who are asking us questions, helping us process what has happened. But we recognize that we can actually extend forgiveness because as followers of Jesus, we have first been forgiven. That is what empowers us to engage in the process. And it takes time. Here's the third thing to keep in mind. Uh, and these three and four will go together. Forgiveness uh, does not mean that there will be no consequences for what's happened. I think this is when we cheapen forgiveness in our world today where we say uh, to be forgiven of something means uh, that, that there, there is no accountability left for what's happened before. And you're left in this space to repeat the same types of things so that uh, I forgive, you're good, and you can keep doing that thing that harmed me in the first place. No, forgiveness does not mean a removal of consequences. What we see this, uh, you know, we see this, I think, most uh, clearly played out and the, the fourth idea that forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. In fact, one of the consequences of the, your, your issue is that there may be a, a permanent break in relationship with someone. To forgive does not mean you need to go back into the same uh, exact environment, the same place, and have the same type of relationship with that person as you had before. Forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation. And as beautiful as reconciliation can be, this is not what Jesus is talking about in chapter 18. We, we extend forgiveness we go through the process because we have been forgiven, but that does not mean uh, we will have everything, rainbows and unicorns in that relationship again. It's a final thought. 
You see why these are conversation starters? Because we continue to think through them and work through them and how they impact our own lives. Here's, here's the, the final thought. Because forgiveness is a very scary process. It just is. You can't control how the other person is going to respond. They may even tell you, uh, man, thanks, but I don't need your forgiveness. I didn't do anything. You don't know how that person is going to respond. But the reality is, there, there is an unseen toll. An unseen but powerful toll to chronic unforgiveness. Because what we do when we refuse or find ourselves unable to drop the debt, release the debt, is we carry it with us. You keep it on your back. You keep adding more weight to the thing that you carry around. And this weeds itself into so many other areas of our lives. In fact, if you think about uh, Creed 3 again, uh, you think of Damien's character, who is the one who's challenging uh, Donnie Creed for the, for the title. He is unable to let go of the debt. And it spirals. And it flares up in so many other arenas of his life, in anger, in rage, in pain, never able to deal with it. Why? Because he continues to carry with it, and we do the same thing. There's an unseen toll, a powerful toll, to chronic unforgiveness. I want to leave you with, with, with this, that the antidote to it is to get to the space where because you have been forgiven by our King, by Jesus, you are able to let down the debt. You don't need to carry it around anymore. You don't need to walk around with somebody else's debt attached to your back that is constantly pulling you back. Now, what we see in Matthew 18 is that because we have been forgiven, as followers of Jesus, we are empowered to enter into this place. That, 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 it's not easy, but we are empowered to endeavor in to the practice of forgiveness. We are freed, we are liberated from a debt that we carry around with us otherwise. It's a beautiful aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. So we are freed from someone else's debt. We are freed from our own. Let me pray for us. And even before I start, I just want to acknowledge that some of us today know that uh, a conversation is coming that we need to have with someone else. And it might not be today. It might not even be this week. But to talk about forgiveness has, has brought up uh, these are a, a specific relationship that, that we, we have carried a debt with us and we're exhausted. That's you. And I invite you to take a moment 
and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit would continue to speak to you long after you leave this place to remind you that uh, forgiveness is not something you have to muster up your courage for. It is not something uh, that you, you have to uh, just get into the right uh, emotional uh, space for. It's not something that you just have to uh, power through, but that you are first empowered as a follower of Jesus to enter into the process of forgiving others. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that uh, you continue to speak to us. You know each and every one of our stories here today. You know where we are deeply wrestling with this idea, where we do not want to give in, where we have every reason and, and our right to be angry still. Yet, Lord, you invite us today. put down the debt to let go to walk away and be freed and liberated from what we may have carried for years that we may enter in Jesus says, the, the life that is truly life. Now, Father, we're so thankful for your word that says uh, we can cast our burdens on you, what we've been carrying around. And Psalm 55 says we uh, bring our anxieties to you. You sustain us. And so as we enter into this process of forgiveness, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sustain us in that work where it's messy and painful and hard that you continue to do the work of sustaining us. Remind us, Lord, that we, as your people, because we have been forgiven, can enter into the process and practice of forgiveness. Lord, we do thank you. We trust you. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name.